0: Well, we're glad to be together again tonight. So welcome to this uh, time of of study in the book of Romans. Been doing so for some months now, uh, having started from Romans chapter 12 and moving on through to the end now. The final phrase of the book tonight in Romans chapter 16 and verse 27. Uh, Going to be considering uh, that phrase tonight. Do trust you've had a good day. And a good week so far and uh, looking forward to uh, just this time that we can share together and I do trust that it'll be of some value to you and leading you more and more in the just the the way in which you worship God. So let me pray as we come together just praying that the Spirit of God would be our teacher, (coughs) excuse me, tonight. Lord we do pray for the work of your spirit as we come together in this uh, time that we share in the book of Romans. And and Lord, we thank you again for just the, the scriptures that you have uh, given to us as a gift, preserving for us these many, many uh, books for so many, many years. And as we come this evening, we pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us, Lord, with spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear, enabling us to just, Lord, grow in our understanding of who you are and also in our response to you, giving you the kind of worship that you are worthy of. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and even the consideration, the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. So the final phrase comes in the doxology, which I do want to read, and it's uh, Romans chapter 16, a well-known doxology. Uh, Paul writes, he says, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want to focus tonight on that phrase, uh, glory forevermore, and it's a word we are familiar with. It's a word used, we'll see in the study tonight, both in the Old Testament and, and also the New Testament. But it also is a word that is frequently used in the book of Romans. The word glory appears throughout the book, a number of places. And if you were to analyze each one of those occurrences or references to where this word is used, you'll find that the word is used in two different ways. The one way is to focus on the magnificence of God who is glorious. So the person of God. So to give you an example, Romans chapter 6 verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by, and then, then there's the word, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's something said here about the person of the Father that uh, brought about the reality of the raising of Jesus from the dead. So that's the one way, identifying uh, something about the magnificence of who God is. The other way is a focus on our response to God, the God who is glorious. So he is, this God is to be given glory, he is to be given worship, and he is to be given honor. And an example of this would be Romans chapter 15 and verse 7, uh, where the apostle writes, and he says to the church, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And then he gives the reason. Okay. Do this, do this for the glory of God. So it's, it's a response to uh, God. Now, these two emphases are what we're going to want to think about tonight. Uh, who God is on the one hand and what he deserves to be given, on the other hand, uh, apply. And I want to give some opening statements in terms of how they apply to this doxology that comes right at the end of the book of Romans. So I'll read the verse again. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So in the first instance, and we'll have a slide up for it, to him be the glory is a worshipful statement of fact. Now, this, of course, relating to who God is. The statement of fact is that God is supremely magnificent, supremely glorious. To this wise God alone belongs glory. This is who God is and has been and always will be. He is who he is and he will not change to be someone else. So to him be the glory, a a worshipful statement of fact. But then secondly, and the second way that we can and and should be looking at this to God, uh, to him be the glory, is to see to him be the glory as a worshipful expression of longing. So this is the response. The expression of longing would be that glory be given to him. May we, may all people see him as he is, as the God who is glorious that deserves worthy and honor wo- yeah, worthy and, and, and who is worthy and deserves honor and praise. So we we, we give him the glory and, and not in the sense that we're adding anything to God, we do not change God, we do not add to his glory, but we acknowledge his glory. We honor him as glorious. Now, I've raised both of these aspects of glory because uh, each aspect is dependent on the other. So the worshipful expression of longing takes place in response to the worshipful statement of fact. You see, you and I can only and will only respond to God in worship and honor when we know who he is. We need to understand, uh, we need to know the reality of who God is. And so therefore, even to begin this evening, I want us to look at uh, how we can more accurately understand uh, digging, exploring uh, the glory of God in who He is. And so to ask the question, my first point this evening is, what is the glory of God. I really want to encourage you to, to think through a phrase that we use, a word that we use frequently, but to really understand what it is saying and really even to mention tonight, to say tonight, to try and define the glory of, of God is an attempt at the impossible. It is impossible and and if I was in a Bible study group and I had some participants tonight, I, I, I would ask two members of the group to define two different words, just as an example of what I'm trying to get at tonight. The first person I turn to and say, right, would you be able to define for me the word beauty? To another person, I turn and say, would you please define for me soccer ball? And I would expect some kind of response from each of those uh, people. Now, how do you define beauty? Think about that for a minute. How would you define beauty? Very difficult. Probably impossible really to define precisely and accurately the word beauty. On the other hand, it's not very difficult to describe ball. I put the dimensions down on my notes. A soccer ball is 22 centimeters in diameter. It's made of leather. It must be inflated and it can be kicked around. So there you go. You have a definition of an object, soccer ball, easily defined. But beauty? You can't do the same with that word, with that concept. We know that beauty exists and the reason we talk about it is because we've seen it. We've, we see beauty. We appreciate beauty. But we cannot completely describe it. Perhaps another illustration when we come to think about the glory of God and the impossibility of defining it. Uh, think about the possibility or the impossibility of uh, the analogy uh, likening our efforts to define the glory of God to attempting to empty the Indian Ocean using a teaspoon. And I'm trying to give us something of the, uh, the bigness and the greatness of of this uh, description of who God is. So we're doomed to fail in our efforts. Uh, we, we, we cannot. And in fact, uh, uh, if, if, if in our efforts we want to describe the glory of God, uh, even when we make use of symbols and familiar images, and I want to quote uh, John Calvin, he said, as rightly said by him, as often as any form is assigned to God, his glory is corrupted by an impious line. Now, ah, that's a mouthful of, of words, but essentially what he's saying is when you attempt to to, to completely describe the glory of God, you will fail. And in failing, you're misrepresenting who God actually is. Isaiah expressed a similar sentiment in chapter 40 and verse 18, where he asks the question To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? Do you see the difficulty that we have? How do we, as finite creatures in the finite world, define God who is infinite? We just don't have the capacity, we don't have the analogy, we don't have the brain capacity, we don't have any analogy to draw alongside and say, well, this is what God is like. When we're dealing with God, and as we do so tonight, we need to understand that from our point of view, or our vantage point, that God is inscrutable. Uh, Humanly speaking, He's indescribable is incomprehensibly infinite. You get the idea? How how do we do that? Well, this leaves us in a place where we are dependent on what God tells us about himself. Now, Another reason, if I could uh, uh, take a minute just to uh, deviate, and and, and this is another reason why the scriptures are such a, a valuable gift to us from God, And why we cannot and should not and will not tolerate compromise of the Bible. Because it's in the Bible, as we're going to see later on tonight, uh, where God actually reveals uh, something of who he is uh, to us. So we must not leave our conclusions about the glory of God to speculative efforts. Because these will fall short. They will be trifling. They'll be puny and totally inadequate. How do we then know the glory of God? Well, God hasn't left us in the dark regarding his glory, regarding his person. And the first step in understanding the glory of God, and I'm using a practical uh, heading over here, and I'll get to the theological statement in a minute, but use your senses, your five senses Now let me try and illustrate and show you what I mean. If you go down to the Drakensberg, any one of us, or up to Mpumalanga and the Eastern Transvaal or some of the other magnificent sites in the world, in that uh, place, you will so easily be overcome by the majesty, by the grandeur, and, and by the beauty of what you see. Also, another illustration would be A planetarium, a visit to a planetarium, and looking at something of the constellations and and just the arrangement of stars and the beauty that is uh, can be seen when you're looking up into the heavens on a clear summer night, and the the response is one of feeling a sense of wonder, a sense of awe and amazement, uh, mystery, and uh, why is that? The answer is, and here is the theological reason is Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. So you've got to understand that. If you read on in that verse, the sky above proclaims His handiwork, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Theological terms, we speak about general revelation. Revelation. Look around you. Be aware of the world around you. What you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you smell, what you touch. Because all of this is God speaking. It, 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 is, it, it is the heavens. It's the sky proclaiming his handiwork. Uh, looking at the magnificence of how your body functions and, and, and the animals and the plant kingdom and, and, and all the world around us. All of what you perceive via your senses has a message to share with you. This points to the glory of God. If you think this is beautiful, if you think these mountains are majestic and you think that constellation of stars is absolutely mind-blowing, God made it. it. It's revealing the glory of God. So perception of anything via the senses is not an end in itself, but a pointer to God's glory. In his letter to the Romans, Paul confirms, and and often I've heard people say, why doesn't God show himself to us? Well, he is, he is. Listen to, to what Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. You can see, I can see. The problem is we are blinded because of our sinful natures and our stubborn wills. We block our ears and, and we prefer not to hear. But God has provided a way where we can see something of his glory. Whenever you experience the evidence of God's creation, you see his glory on display. That tells us that God exists. It tells us that God is powerful, must be powerful to have uh, brought about all of this. It tells us that he's majestic. It tells us that God has an amazing artistic and creative ability tells us that God is wise and, and so we can learn something about who God is just by using our senses and, and, and uh, participating or responding to the general revelation of God. But there's another step in understanding the glory of God and, and again I'm trying to be practical and I use the phrase stretch your mind, use your mind and 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 here i'm 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 referring particularly to the scriptures to study the scriptures to meditate on the scriptures to read the scriptures and and to do so with an eye searching out the glory of god we look at the old testament we see that the hebrew word for glory is kabod the word uh, means That which is weighty means that which is impressive or or worthy. That which is of reputation, that which has honor, describing God. And so in relation to God, it implies that which makes God impressive to us as we see, as we understand Deuteronomy 5, verse 24, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us His glory and greatness. We have heard His voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still lives. Did you get the sense of what has been recorded here in the book of Deuteronomy? An experience of the weightiness of God and, and, and it's amazing that we're still alive. We shouldn't be alive in the presence of such a great being. Kabod also describes something of the manifestation of, of shining light. And uh, again, a shining light by which God revealed himself. He did that in various places in a lightning flash or in the blinding splendor uh, that often accompanied theophanies in the Old Testament. Uh, It was really an extraordinary manifestation. Uh, Also familiar with the divine presence in the cloud that led the people of Israel uh, through the wilderness and present in the tabernacle. And and, and we speak there of, of the Shekinah glory of God. We see also that glory is uppermost in the mind of Moses. He longs to see God in Exodus 33 Please show me your glory. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place uh, by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take my hand and you shall see my back. But my face you shall not, shall not be seen. You get, you get the idea, the, 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 the bigness, the greatness, the, uh, the indefinable nature. Of the weightiness of God. In the New Testament, and I'm just uh, glossing over this quite quickly, the word for glory is doxa. And uh, again, we look at the general meaning of the word, and the word doxa means loftiness or uh, the majesty of God. And, and we see this in, in different places, expressed in different verses. Uh, for example, even with regard to our sin. Uh, the perfection of God, the loftiness of God in His perfection and holiness. Romans 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the, the glory of God. It's called the Father of glory in Ephesians 1 17, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of, of Him. And so, Even the manifestation of light displaying the glory, the the magnificence of God. Uh, An occasion where that occurred was in Luke chapter 2 verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. Do you you get something of the sense, the Old Testament, the New Testament, revealing a picture of God? God is not our equal. God is not just a little bit higher than we are. God is indescribably lofty and weighty. The transfiguration is another instance uh, during the earthly ministry of of Jesus. We see also something of this at the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. And then also John on the Isle of of Patmos. Um, Do you get the idea? The use of the word glory when connected to God in the Old and the New Testament conveys a clear sense. And this is the point of what I've been saying from Old and New Testament. It conveys a clear sense in which God is lifted up out of the ordinary. Very, very, very significant. God is lifted up. God is above the ordinary ask again the question, what then is the glory of God? And there are many definitions. I'm going to give you two. Both are going to appear on the screen one at a time, and I'm going to read them. You can see uh, some of the words for yourself. So one author by the name of Pratney says, His glory is who he is, what he does, and how he shows himself. I'll read that again. His glory is who he is, what he does, and how he shows himself. It is his intrinsic divine nature, his matchless character, and his awesome revelation in holiness and power to his creation. So Bernard Ram, there's another definition. Put that up on the screen now. He puts it a little bit more succinctly. And he says, the glory of God is not a particularized attribute like wisdom, the wisdom of God, but an attribute of the total nature of God, virtually an attribute of attributes. And when we speak of attributes, we're speaking of the perfections of God. Uh, characteristics is is, a, is is too much of a common word. I don't like to use that word when speaking uh, of God. Well, the glory of God is to be seen all over the Bible. And, and the challenge of what I've been trying to bring to you is not only that we use our senses, but that we use our mind. Uh, don't depend on little uh, Uh, morning or evening devotions to understand the very nature of God. You've got to get into the Bible. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to study it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to plow through some of the the difficult (coughs) books and, and chapters of the Bible. But in doing so, you will discover the Holy Spirit will enlighten you. The Holy Spirit will teach you more and more of who God is. The truth of the matter is none of us, will ever be able to exhaust this task of knowing God. Not even into eternity, I believe. But there's a third step that I want to bring. So use your senses, stretch your mind, but open your heart. And I come here specifically to opening your heart to the person and the work of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, speaking of Jesus he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And so here we have the nature of God made known to us as people through Jesus. All there is to know about God can be seen in Jesus. If, if Bruce, a commentator, uh makes this point. He says, just as the radiance of the sun reaches this earth, so in Christ, the light of God shines into the hearts of men. See, in Psalm 19, the heavens tell you that God exists. And a little bit of what God is like, Jesus Christ and the gospel establishes you and can establish you in a favorable relationship with God. And I picked this up in a message on a Sunday a couple of weeks ago in the book of Hebrews, but I'll just mention uh, the phrase here. Notice what he says in verse 27. Romans 16 verse 27. To him be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. You and I can be awakened, we can grow in our understanding of the glory of God and even be changed in our person as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the apostle makes the point, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, as looking to Jesus, beholding who he is, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We fix our eyes on Jesus to be changed. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. Uh, This is how we behold the glory of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them From seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Where do we behold the glory of God? We behold the glory of God most clearly, most crucially in the gospel. Study the gospel. Understand the gospel. Dig into the gospel. Very important that we do that. I want to move on to a second point then. How should you respond to the glory of God? I want to just mention two things in closing. Two challenges that that we need to face up to. The one is we respond to the glory of God by stop trying to compete with God. We must understand who God is and who we are. Him being the creator, us being the creature. God's glory is the immeasurable value of who he is. He is of ultimate worth and supreme importance. And the point is, he doesn't share his glory with another. That well-known verse in Isaiah 48, For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And so the important thing is we must attach worth and the acknowledgement of that worth to God, the value to God, the weight to the things uh, of God, and not ourselves. Because when we, when we reverse that emphasis and we place uh, value and emphasis and worship on that which is less than God, we end up in idolatry and drifting away from God himself. And then secondly, just another challenge, constantly seek to glorify God. So every day, uh, every occasion, to be remembering, to be reminded by the word week by week as well, that we treat God, we respond to God in the way that he deserves. If God is weighty, that he is worthy, cannot be treated therefore in uh, frivolous attitudes or, or flippant ways or, or with any kind of contempt. is worth all that you and I have to give. And, and even the word worship has its origin in that word worth. So we must give him the honor, the reverence. And live our lives for him. And practically that means in relationships. Let me give you a couple of verses. Romans 15 verse 7. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So in relationships, why do we do this? Just practically, pragmatically? No, we do this for the glory of God. Because in this we honor God. In ministry. 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Always pointing to him, not to us, not to others, even in the use of our bodies. One Corinthians six, verse 20. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body the way you use your body in everything. That's the bottom line. 1 Corinthians 10 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And so an appropriate way to end a wonderful uh, book, uh, the book of Romans. Now to him, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. We do pray, Father, that something of what we learn from the scriptures and what we see around in the world that you have made, that we would constantly be aware of just who you are in the greatness of your person. Do pray that you would give us a mind and a heart that responds to the worth of who you are as the indescribable infinite God. Lead us as a church in this, but also us as individuals. And even that last verse that we looked at, whatever we do, uh, whether we eat or drink, doing it to honor you and glorify your name. So we commend each other to you, Lord, for another evening, another day ahead of us, uh, time ahead of us. We pray that each one of us would seek to walk and long to give you the worship and the glory that you are worthy of. Amen. So just to conclude then, just a, a final screen with some questions and uh, you can take a shot of those with your camera, with your phone, and uh, as the opportunity presents in your group to do some discussion. Just a comment, we have now concluded the book of Romans and uh, we will take a break for two weeks. And and I don't want to start anything next week and then there's a week of school holiday and, and then uh, thereafter... We'll rather pick it up and I will let you know via Michelle's WhatsApp messages the next study that will carry us through, God willing, uh, to the end of the year. So God bless you. Be with you. Have a wonderful evening. Uh, Good night.